This is one of those stories that just lives and breathes and celebrates literature the way that it just completely rips away this visual information. You couldn't tell this story in a video format, could you? No, I want to argue this story in an audio format, and I want to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> so I looked it up. It, it allegedly recitatif. Well, a what a hana who? Recitatif. I, I've. Re let me try it. Let me try it. Let me try it. Recitatif. I had to look it up. It's apparently an operatic term. Okay. It's the the spoken narrative section in between the singing with the idea that it's what pushes the story along. Kind of like how this story isn't the whole lives of these two women. It's these key moments where they interact and kind of pushes their relationship forward is kind of how I took it. Ah, okay. That makes a lot more sense now of the Rasa Tatif is the interlog or intermonologue in between. That that makes a lot more sense now. That's a clever play on words, Tony Morrison. Mm -hmm. Kudos. Now, if you are new to the Codex Cantina, we go through some of the most important stories that have influenced today's authors. If you are down for a literature discussion like that, make sure you hit that subscribe button to join us. And as always, we start off with publication information. Rasatatif, I'm going to say it now because I can say it now, <laughs> was published in 1983 in the Confirmation and Anthology of African American Women. And we'll leave a link down in the description below where you can listen to this for free. So Toni Morrison's, well, it used to be her only short story. I actually was just corrected. She wrote a, she wrote another short story in 2015 that I hadn't heard about. But this, she doesn't write many. And this is just one of the most powerful short stories where I think a lot of people start off with, okay, what skin color are these two characters? Because she's specifically playing with you as the reader and giving you hints and clues but then kind of going back on it and maybe even a sense, maybe some of those hints are just our stereotypes as we read it. Oh, she's totally messing with you. She, the whole time I'm going back and forth, back and forth. Is it, is it Roberta? Is Twyla? Is it Roberta? Is Twyla? And I'm trying to figure out the whole time. And I think that says more about me than anything, right? Well, we know we're supposed to guess between white and black because it says that they're like salt and pepper. Right. Yeah. And we know to your point that it probably is a self-reflection game. We still get comments to this day in the In a Grove by uh, a Kutagawa short story that we did. That's one where you don't know which one's the murderer. And, you know, you're, the author paints this picture where any of them could do it, like literally crafted perfectly that anyone could have been the murderer. And you assuming one of them is guilty tells you more about you. And I see students all the time saying, which one's the murderer? And they're asking me for their homework. And it's just like, no, 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 this. This is part of the exercise. This is this is telling us about you. So if you're questioning which one's which, this is the experiment. This is which stereotypes do you put more weight on? Which expectations do you have for races as you go through this? Oh, definitely. I was very, very frustrated and flustered as I was reading it. But then as I got to the end, I realized that I don't think that's the point of the story. I think there's a lot more to it than just that. So let's do a speed recap because this story requires so much discussion because it is so awesome. But basically two eight-year-old girls are dropped off at an orphanage, right? And they grow up there together and they become salt and pepper friends. And they see some other people there that um, may or may not be colored. They may or may not mistreat these people. And eventually the girls kind of split apart. And what happens is the story has them weave through time where they keep, you know, meeting each other again, where one's upper class, one's maybe a little bit lower class, one might like chicken, one might um, have a parent that's really religious. There's all these just different 
things that you may or may not have stereotypes or have heard stereotypes behind. And it kind of plays with the expectations of, well, which one is the salt and which one is the pepper? Yeah, and there's a few other key things I think happen along the story as well that we'll have to talk about. There's a key figure in here. Um, So there's Roberta and Twyla uh, that are the two girls, salt and pepper. And then there is Maggie, who is a woman that works at the orphanage that is a key character that we'll have to talk about as well. But it kind of weaves through their lives of just these key moments, recitative, that how they review memory and how they treat one another is going to change throughout the courses of their lives. And that says a lot about them. And then kind of maybe who you side with says a lot about you as well as an individual, I think. Well, there's so many brilliant little small nuances to this story. This kind of reminds me of Eudora Welty, where we could spend this whole session talking about the small little symbols, such as Klondike bar. Guess what color Klondike is on the outside? Chocolate. Guess what color it is on the inside? Vanilla. So black and white, and again, melting together at the end. She just plays with these concepts of, you know, the the black and the white through the whole thing, that you could have a whole video essay just on that. But I want to go a little bit deeper into this. There are some things that I've noticed other people haven't commented on that I'd love to bring up today, right? So I'm assuming, you know, maybe you watched some other videos out there. But what I want to bring up too is the dialogue tags even. So let me just read this excerpt from you. Kind of, It's kind of like a Hemingway experience here. What's <laughs> more us than that? Well, it's a free country. Not yet, but it will be. What the hell does that mean? I'm not doing anything to you. You really think that? I know it. I wonder what made me think you were different. I wonder what made me think you were different. Now, which one said which? Oh, no clue. You can mix and match when taken out of context. It's not impossible to tell which one's which, right? Like, like in the opening section, they they have a, an, a they they address the other one, so you kind of know. But you'll notice that even taking out some of those, you start to blend together, much like a melted Klondike bar. That you're not exactly sure by the end. So Morrison does a really good job from word choice to dialogue tags. Everything in this story is so perfectly crafted to kind of mix these together. It's a perfect recipe of, no pun intended, of blending these two different individuals that almost can be viewed as the same person. So here's my question, Crypto. Is the point of the story for us to be figuring out whether one character is black and which character, well, which character is black and which character is white? That's a loaded question because you is. know that I thought yes in the beginning. And the first time I read it, I did. I thought that that was kind of like the murder mystery-esque. I mean, this is not a murder mystery, but that is the point of the story. And then after reading it and reflecting and talking and preparing, I know that it's not, but it made me mad because that said something about me that I wanted to know which little girl was black and which little girl was white. But why does that matter? Oh, and I'm, I hate myself for it. Let me give you Toni Morrison's words and then let's go even deeper on it, okay? So okay. she says recitative was an experiment in the removal of all racial codes from a narrative about two characters of different races for whom racial identity is crucial. And she said this in her preface to playing in the dark. Okay. So here's what I think. One, what does that say about us, all of us as readers? And if, if this wasn't a curiosity for you, or if you were a hundred percent set on one, that that's, you know, these are all different scenarios we need to think about that we had to identify 
each of these characters' race. What made it so important to us to figure out which one was white and which one was black? If we as peoples truly believe that we are equal, what makes that so ingrained in us that that's something that was driving us nuts to figure it out? Well, I think that Morrison, that was the point of her story, right? Was to get you that it doesn't matter. Or if it does matter to you, then you're the ones that need to read this story. You know, when people say, like, I'm colorblind and I don't see race, I'm kind of like, mm, yeah, I don't buy that for a second. Because I think it is something that everyone is so enamored with, is figuring this out in the story. But I think the point isn't to identify race. I think what Morrison's asking us is, what do we do with, with the power and the information once we have it? If we knew one of these was white or black, would we treat them differently? Would we think differently upon that person just because their skin's a different color? Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of another huge, you know, glaring elephant in the room is that you don't have to negate the race of an individual or the color of an individual because that can be something that a person identifies as. It's okay to see race, it's not okay to be racist and judge them solely on that fact. And I think that's the little thing is that there's so much more to these two little girls, teenagers and women that one of them ends up being kind of, you know, a little bit harsher of an individual and race is irrelevant on that. It doesn't matter what color the person is. She's kind of rude and disrespectful to her friend and even manipulates her memory to try to make herself feel better and her friend feel bad about what they did or not did to Maggie. You know what's interesting to me is, so, okay, so let's pretend we're just in this story. We don't know any science about how, how racism is learned, okay? Like, let's, let's just look at what Morrison is saying about that. And I couldn't okay. help but feel that at some points in the story, like with Roberta, when she says, my mother won't like you putting me in here, right? To me, this is telling me that the mother is training her to think a specific way about the race, right? And later on, we have in the news, it woke you in the morning, and from the Today Show to the 11 o'clock news, it kept you an awful company. Later still, I thought it was a good thing until I heard it was a bad thing in regards to the buses. So the news is putting her in an awful mood about it. Her mom's telling her that she needs to work and, or think differently about it. And then the busing system, she didn't know it was bad until someone else told her it was bad. So to me, just in the context of the story, Morrison is saying racial discrimination is something that's taught. Because if you remember these two little girls they were fine playing together, salt and pepper. They didn't have a racial issue. The second their mother showed up, though, what happened, right? They suddenly now they started, have an issue. They suddenly started acting differently, and the mothers wouldn't shake each other's hands. Again, the previous generation teaching the next generation that racial discrimination is what I think one of the points Morrison's kind of bringing out in this story where she's already obfuscating what race each of these characters are so that we can't pass judgment on them. Yeah, sure. That all of this is a taught behavior, and what you were taught is what you're going to see in this story. So we got to talk about this orchard. Why can they not remember, or why do they gaslight, in a sense, the memory of what happened to Maggie in the orchard? Yeah, it's very strange how they almost kind of gaslight themselves, or at least it feels like, 
one is to the other. And I think this is because, and this is where memory comes a big play into the story, is that Morrison is saying that our memories kind of betray us and what we think happened and what we think might have been very positive we come to sometimes over-embellish that uh, positivity. Your best memory ever, you it might not be your best memory ever. And we do the same thing with negative things as well, where what happened to you that you know is your worst day of your life, while it might have been super terrible, sometimes those negative feelings are exacerbated by your memory, and they can deceive you. And that's really kind of what's happened in this story, we think, with Maggie, is we truly don't know what happened between the two girls and, and Maggie, whether they pushed her down or not, while living at the orphanage when they were little kids. Well, let me ask you this. Would they have, to your point, remembered the story differently? Because if you remember, what did they describe her as? Sandy colored? Like, we weren't sure if Maggie was black or whether Maggie was white. Again, another character whose skin color is obfuscated through the narrative. Yeah, all we know is that her legs are like parentheses, which is my like favorite part of the story. The bo- I just cracked up with that. <laughs> the bow leg description is hilarious. Mor- Morrison writes a very entertaining story. But I wonder, Agreed. you know, how do we take Maggie? Because we didn't know what she was. If we did, right, because remember they're arguing over that, would that change our memory of how we should or ought to have treated her? Yeah, I don't know. Was Maggie terrible to them? Did she scold them? Did she beat them? Did she make them do extra chores? We don't know a lot of that information. All we know is the memory of one girl portraying what she thinks happened between the three. Well, and what's even more harsh about it is that she has some level of handicap, right? We know that she couldn't speak. Uh, They kind of danced around the, the mental side of things. But it made us kind of think, too, that beyond just even just race as one reason to lord your power or discriminate against someone here these two girls were that hated that were doing it to her because they could because she was handicapped that's something that even trumped even the race card maybe even of something that they could then hold over and abuse and diminish someone else's humanity over I think that comes back to the interaction with the moms as well and again that race is kind of irrelevant here is that you are taught how to behave and how to treat other people a lot of times from your parents, not always, but a lot of times that these girls might be emulating what their their mothers did and that's why they're treating this woman this way and that later in life when they meet up together, the one is trying to make the other feel bad of like, mm-hmm. hey, you push Maggie down the stairs, you're a terrible person because that's the way her mother acted when she was, you know, a little girl. She saw her mom, you know, d- saying these terrible things. That you just did it. You hit it on the head for, for me, in my opinion. She saw her mother did it, and she made the choice to do it as well. That's, that's I think, part of this whole story here, is how these characters are making choices how to treat others. And based on their actions that are obfuscated behind these, these you know, clear questions of racial identity, we as readers are trying to put justifications behind. She's putting this blank choice out there, and there's people that are going to side sometimes with various different characters. And I think that's what Morrison's tricking us into doing is putting our own personal weight and judgment behind things in the choices that we make. And it is a choice according to Morrison in the story. So I ask you this choice then, sir. Roberta or Twyla? <laughs> Roberta or Twyla what? The, the, which one? 
Which, Which one, do one you pick? I, I, I'm asking because I'm asking if you're asking from a point of whiteness, right? Are you asking no. which one's white? Are you asking me which one's black, right? I'm I'm just asking you about each of them. <laughs> so what? I didn't ask any clarifying statements or factors. I gave you no context whatsoever. <laughs> so, okay, so I got it. Ugh. So what does this ending mean, right? Yeah. I don't know. This, this Christmas tree ending, how, how did you interpret it? I feel like that at the end, we come to the resolution that they want to be better people. They're admitting to each other that they started off friends and that life corrupted them. And had they not allowed that to happen, maybe they each would have been better people and both had the storybook endings. To me, you know, I think you hit it on the head there with the choice and you'll notice that there's times where they didn't meet at the graduation. They weren't there for the next generation, in a sense. They weren't, you know, they, the mom was out dancing all night. One was sick, so they weren't even there. They had to dump them at the orphanage. They weren't there at the graduation. You know, the dinner was, what was it, popcorn and Yoohoo? Again, a very entertaining story. Sad if it were real I life. love Yoohoo, Una. I love Yoohoo. I do, too. Because I can't and have chocolate milk because I'm lactose intolerant. I love Yoohoo. And it's sad if it's real life, but for fiction, I think we're allowed to have some fun with that, right? Yeah. But but it's the idea that they weren't there for the next generation. So I think what we're seeing is that we're giving these two girls, Twyla and Roberta, a chance to make the right choices for the next generation is kind of how I interpreted it. Yeah. And they really weren't there for each other, why were they? And I think that's one thing that, you know, friendship shouldn't be about race. It shouldn't be about who your parents are. It should be about how you can support one another. And I think that's what Morrison is trying to get out is that we can be better than this. And I didn't know if, if I don't know enough about Morrison to say, clearly the last scene was taking place at Christmas, obviously a time of new beginnings right before the new year, you know, new fresh new beginnings. You know, is Morrison the type of writer that would have chosen that type of a holiday to influence that concept too? I don't know enough about her, but I was wondering if that was like kind of like one of those breadcrumbs rebirth or you know yeah giving a new beginnings sure right. possibly yeah right. i mean it, it, it's a nice little breadcrumb there so here's my thought we need to go read her other short story immediately let's be- do it because this story oh so incredible we're gonna put a morrison playlist down below that we're hoping to fill up as soon as fast as fast as possible do, do you want to read it right now we can do it live we, we should we should probably just do a live <laughs> reading of it because oh my gosh no i i need they to don't st- want to stare at the top of my bald head while i read <laughs> i need to stew on her stories because they're worth they're that caliber of this is going to stick with me for a while. You know what I mean? This is going to be the new, you know, I used to refer to uh, of the coming of John as a really good story where you had two characters named John. One was black, one was white, and they had very different experiences doing the same thing, right? It's even more interesting here when you don't know the race and we get to kind of play the game of, well, that's a stereotype, but that's a stereotype in me, not in Morrison's writing or anything else like that. So to me, let's, let's move into our ratings. What are you going to give this one, Crypto? Oh, nine, nine. This is the ultimate self-reflection. And I think that this is something you're going to need to read maybe even post-college to have gained a little bit of personal understanding and be able to be honest with yourself when self-reflecting and have some of those life experiences and be able to be strong enough in yourself to break from 
what maybe you were taught and to break from those stereotypes and social norms and racial norms and all that, you know, baggage, as you said, that we gain through our lives, you got to be able to be prepared to dump all of that. And I think that this is going to be something that can help transform you to be a better person. And that's one of the points of literature. And why the point we did this channel is to have these discussions so that we can become better people and help others on their literary journey as well. This is something that you need in your life. And I don't give out high nines very often. Toni Morrison, give us more, please. I want to be a better person. So for the 5% of you out there that are still watching, I want to know when you're done reading this, did you go out and Google which one was black and white? I just, I have to know if you could leave that in the comments for me down below. For me, this is a 10 out of 10. Perfect story. Absolutely loved it. I can't, I can't, I can't think of another piece that says and pulls out so much of you as the reader. I think we talked about them, right? Of, of the coming of John in a grove. Like these are all stories that are tricks where the teacher will ask you which one was black, which one was white. And it's, that's the loaded die, right? Like that's the mind that she's putting out there or he's putting out there for you to step on uh, only to realize that you're, you're revealing more information about yourself. And that's incredibly difficult to write a story like that. So guys, if you're down for literature discussions like this and more Tony Morrison, hit that subscribe button. Join us as we post videos every Monday and Thursday. Una out. Peace.